A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, everyone. Charles Watts here. Welcome to another edition of Inside Arsenal. I hope you are all well. It's a special edition today because you're not just going to be listening or watching me. I've got a guest for you today. And it is uh, none other than Simon Collins of the Evening Standard, who I'm sure you all know and have read his stuff over the years. Very, very on much on the Arsenal beat, on the England women beat as well, and is heading off to Australia for the Women's World Cup at the end of the week. So thank you for joining me, Simon. How are you doing, mate? I'm good, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. I hope you are all packed and ready to go for your, what, that feels like about a three-month stay in Australia, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm sort of gap year student going to Australia for like seven weeks. But uh, I will be doing work, I promise. Excellent. All right, well, we'll talk about that a little bit later on because there's plenty of Arsenal interest in the Women's World Cup, of course. Um, but let's start today's show, shall we, by focusing on what's going on at Arsenal. Now, this is a story you wrote a couple of days ago. Um, about the trip to Germany, where Arsenal are right now, that Kai Havertz was going to be joining up on it, and that the uh, the other new signings, of course, Julian Timber and Declan Rice, who we've all been waiting on tenterhooks to be officially announced as Arsenal players. It hasn't happened yet, but as you said here, the priority has always been to get those two new faces on board before the USA tour, which starts where well, they fly out for that tour on Sunday. So let's talk a little bit about where we are, the state of play with those two, shall we? Durian Timber is the player we're expecting to be announced first out of those two, possibly you know, sometime in the next 24 hours, maybe tomorrow. Um, so what are your feelings on Durian Timber, this sign-in, when the announcement's going to come? How are, you, how are you feeling about this latest addition to the Arsenal squad? I think it's a, I think it's a really good signing. Um, I think a few people, when it first sort of emerged were wondering where he was going to play and how he was going to be used. And credit to um, Sam Dean, who I know you've had on here before, who sort of explained the idea behind him basically sort of replicating what Zinchenko does, but on the other side of the pitch. So you can have an inverted fullback in the team. And we saw, didn't we, last season when when Tierney didn't, sorry, when Zinchenko didn't play, Tierney couldn't really replicate that. And in those last few games, I thought it was interesting that Arteta went for party to play at right back and invert and 
they sort of found the solution. And I think in Timber, you know, from what I've read about him, spoken to people about him, sounds like a player who's really good on the ball, very composed, an extremely relaxed person, almost too relaxed. I think he's admitted himself. That's probably an area he needs to be careful on in possession. But someone who's been schooled at Ajax since they were 13 um, plays exactly how you would expect him to play. And even more importantly, I think he is direct competition. I think in the past, the earlier phases of this project, you saw Arsenal sign players. You went, yeah, that's, you know, that's your backup right back. That's your backup centre mid or whatever. But it feels like Timber is a player who's going to come in and expect to play. You know, he's been playing Champions League football. He's been winning titles. And as a signing, I really like it. And um, I'm excited to see what he can do in that team. Yeah, obviously, there's been a little bit of frustration about why this hasn't been announced yet. But we are expecting that it is going to happen pretty soon. I know we've been saying that for a while, but there is a chance that he might even link up with a squad over in Germany if this gets announced in time. And he could even feature in Thursday's game. How Are you expecting there's a possibility that could happen? Yeah, I think so. I think um, it's very different to the Rice situation where Rice was obviously due some time off because I think West Ham's Europa Conference final was on the 7th of June. And then England obviously played games in the middle of June. So unlike someone like Saka, who basically finished end of May, had a few time, had a few weeks off, went to England. Rice basically didn't have any time off. So he's due a break, which is why he was never going to be part of that Germany camp. But I think Timber could be involved um, in terms of that sort of friendly game. I think the majority of players in it will be the ones who've had a bit of a longer, longer pre-season. You know, people like Havertz, Saka only came back sort of Saturday. So um, yeah, if you can get him in the group, I think as soon as possible, that's great. It, as we say, it seems all pretty much done, just waiting for it to announce. I mean, he even had a party, didn't he? Back with his family back in Amsterdam. So, um, yeah, I think Arsenal fans will just be happy when it's all announced and it's, it's on the club website. Yeah, I think even if even if he doesn't feature in the game on Thursday, which we, we'll have to wait and see, um, Mikel clearly will want that want him there. I think we all saw the importance last season of getting that group together early in pre-season and how sort of Mikel valued that. I mean, Zinchenko has flown out, wasn't he? Mm. Halfway through the US tour, they didn't wait to get him done. They wanted him involved and they threw him pretty much straight into the game as well. I think like the day after he signed, he was he was playing. So it wouldn't be, it certainly wouldn't be a surprise if he, if he linked up. And pre-season is a really important time, isn't it? I think last season's pre-season tour was... It went really, really well. Mikel Arteta has spoken about it a lot, about the importance of that and how much the sort of momentum they built from that went into the into the Premier League season. I think that's why it's going to be so key to get, you know, Timber through the door. And you spoke about him there as well. Obviously, Declan Rice, who we're all expecting to be on that plane on Sunday. It has dragged on a lot. There has been a lot of frustration. I've got so many questions and just fans venting their annoyance that this hasn't been done and that the announcement hasn't happened. But I think sort of playing devil's advocate a little bit with it, I mean, this is a £105 million transfer we're talking about here. Everything has to be right. Yeah. It's not one that can just be kind of rushed through or anything like that. It's not something that Arsenal would delay in by any means, is it? I think a lot of people, and I've seen it again on social media, think it's almost like the media team are, are holding this up and not announcing it themselves rather than the actual executives. Because, of course, it just hasn't been signed yet, has it? I mean, there's no other reason for this delay if you want to call it that for for the announcement of rice it's just a simple fact that at the moment it, it, he's not an arsenal player it hasn't been signed yeah and i think also it's with rice um as we've said you know he he wouldn't have been part of this group until the end of this week anyway so obviously i know fans want to see the player in the shirt and get it all done um but he wouldn't you know be training or anything like that so i think that's why probably arsenal are quite 
confident about it, relaxed about it. West Ham, the same situation. We obviously saw them launch their kit and, you know, Rice is not part of all that promotion and stuff. So this is one that, yeah, it'll eventually get done done this week. Um, and as you say, when it's this sort of sums of money, um, these things these things take time, don't they? Um, but I, I don't think it's one that fans should be sort of worried about, concerned about. And um, the way Arsenal got their business done early, I think deserves a lot of a lot of credit for. We we you know we heard Mikel, didn't we, before the end of the season, talk about we've got to nail the transfer window. Um, and last season, Arteta spoke about how getting their business done early. I think Zinchenko was the last signing, and it was on the twenty second of July, I think it was. And he thought that contributed to the fast start. And I think you can see the benefit of having them all in now because everything is set up. You've got your players in, and you can really use that tour to drill what you want for the season, as opposed to. In the past, you know, the, the final days of Wenger, we how often do we talk about them, you know, trying to get players in, it's come late in the window. If you can get everything lined up, it makes such a big difference, I think, for starting the season well. 100%. I mean, the three of them, once this is all done, it's going to take Arsenal spending to around, you know, the sort of £200 million mark by mid-July. I mean, that's a pretty remarkable outlay for a club that's only basically brought in about £27 million, I think, so far with the sales of Granite and, and Pablo Mari. The focus, once these three are done, is going to have to switch very much to trying to potentially get a few players out, isn't it? I think, you know, attack the window, first of all, get your key players through the door, which they have done, then potentially move some players on, bring a bit of money back into the club. And then if you want to get back into the market a little bit later on in it, you've got the opportunity to do that. Yeah, and I think in the you can see it from two different ways now, can't you? Because we're looking at West Ham in the market and the way they're operating the whole market now knows they've got £105 million to spend and um, they're going to find it difficult bringing players in. I actually think the way Arsenal have done it, which is difficult because you need the backing from the club's owners um, you know, financially to say, look, go and spend the money and then we'll recoup it, is the better way to do it, I think, because you've got your business done and then you're in a more comfortable position where you know, you're not frantically trying to get a player out the door so you can spend it to get someone in. Um, but I think if there are going to be more players coming in, I think they'll need to get to get players out the door. And it's something you, know, you and I have both spoken about, isn't it? That that's where it feels like Edu needs to probably improve in his role as sporting director. But I think this is probably the first summer where you look at the players he's selling and you would go, yeah, you should get a good fee for them. You know, Granite Xhaka, you should get a good fee. Tierney, if he goes, you should get a good fee. Balogun, get a good fee. So this, I think if someone was saying to him, look, you've not sold well in the past, he would say, well, judge me on this window because this is the first time I've really got strong assets that people should pay good fees for. Yeah. And he certainly started well with that. I think 21.5 million for granite is a, that's a good fee. Well, I think when we started the summer, we were looking at around sort of 13 million, weren't we? And I think a few of us were sitting in that final game uh, against Wolves and we were talking afterwards and thinking, 13 million. Is that really that good a fee for granite Xhaka given the, you know, the quality of the season had just come off and 21.5 million. That, that feels an awful lot better. And, it's a good starting point for Edu, I think. And like you said, I think this is going to be a really crucial summer for him in terms of how he is viewed. He's done some really good work, no doubt about it. The, the signings have been good so far this window. The the work on contracts has been exceptional to pretty much get everyone done, um, such key players done as well. But you know, selling players, that's certainly one area where we've all got a few question marks about the work he can do. But if he can get some good money in for some of those players this summer, then Arsenal are going to be... Um, a lot better for it. You talked there about the owners and them deserving credit. I think that's an interesting point. You know, the Cronkies haven't always been universally popular, safe to say, <laughs> since they've been at Arsenal. Um, 
but they've put an awful lot of, I, I hate to say that actually put an awful lot of money into the club because we don't actually know exactly how that money has been found yeah. and spent whether it's actually the Cronkies whether it's been sort of taken out by Barkley you know however it is but they've certainly allowed Arsenal to spend a lot of money in recent times even when they haven't been in the Champions League and I'd say right now they're probably as popular as they've ever been would you agree with that in terms of the Arsenal fan base? Definitely. And I think if that Rice deal goes through, uh, which obviously we're expecting to, I mean, that'll be a real statement of intent. Um, and, and Arteta, we know, is he's very bullish in the way he sort of speaks about the need to spend money to recruit, to maximise transfer windows. And, um, you know, I think a lot of the time the club have backed him, backed him to the hill. I think this summer felt even bigger after the sort of Mudrick Caicedo, you know, where they tried to go big for players and not got it done. Um, that they sort of got their number one target. I know you'd spoken about the importance of getting that player in, but yeah, the transformation from the owners from, you know, I think it was that, it was Everton, wasn't it, where there was the big sort of cronky out protest and the Super League was brewing away. Um, but I can remember listening to a podcast, I'm trying to think what one it was, but Josh Cronky was on it and he sort of did make the point that sometimes gets overlooked. But when you look at them, when they've had sole ownership of the club, you know, complete control and Ushmanov wasn't there the sort of financials and money they've put in has sort of backed up the, you know, the words of, you know, wanting to get the club back to the top. So I think they do deserve a lot of credit and it's probably one where, you know, they've learned the hard way. They've, they've probably made mistakes in the early phases and look over the road at Chelsea and Todd Bowley. I think he's, he's made a few, but the last sort of two years, 18 months, I don't think any supporters can really, you know, have any qualms of stuff they've done. Yeah. I mean, I can't remember their stock being any higher than it is than it is right now. No, no, I, I agree. I think that that Everton game was the it's the one I think we all look back on. Obviously, it was a little bit different. I think it was so much protesting on what they were doing at Arsenal at that point. It was more mm. that it was obviously the Super League, but you know the, the the how volatile that was behind outside the ground that day, and to sort of think about where the relationship was there to where it is now. I think it's certainly certainly improved and. Um, you know, I don't think Josh Cronkey needs to w- walk around the Emirates feeling sort of worried <laughs> or if he was sneaking into the Emirates anymore. I think he can probably come in and would get quite a good reception at the moment. I mean, let's talk about, move on to football at the moment in Germany. Now, um, Arsenal are over there. Again, they had a really good spell over their last year. Arsenal, um, oh, Mikel has taken them back <laughs> there. The bikes are back, as we've seen. They were yeah. a very popular part of the tour last last summer. They're back out again. Now, Rob Holding over there, um, Ben White, of course. Now, this is a trip that's very much sort of about getting everyone ready for the USA, isn't it? I think the USA is going to be a, probably a lot more serious. This is a lot more about sort of fitness work and get everyone prepared for that 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 trip to the USA, which they leave for on Sunday. Um, Kai Havertz, it's his first time away with the squad. If you're watching this on YouTube, uh, you'll be able to see the pictures I've just brought up. He's looking very, very happy there. Obviously, he's with Jorginho and one of them, a player he knows very, very well. He's with Reese in the other one. He seems to be fitting in pretty well. And Kai Havertz, I think, is a really intriguing addition to this squad this this summer. It's certainly not a player I was expecting Arsenal to sign when uh, when the season ended, last season ended. He's come in. The more I think about it, the more I think it could end up being a real smart decision. He's got a lot, of, lot to prove, no doubt about that. But I think that Thursday night's game, if Havertz does play it, it's going to be really interesting to see where he fits in to this Arsenal team. Will it be a sort of direct replacement for Granite, 
or will we see possibly a little bit of a tweak to the system that we've become accustomed to under Arteta to fit him in? When you look at Haberts, what what are your thoughts on the addition of him, first of all, but where potentially he's going to play and operate in this Arsenal team? Yeah, I'm, I was like you, if you'd said to me in sort of May time that, um, you know, Arsenal are going to be signing Kai Havertz for 60 million, it wouldn't have been one I would have gone, yeah, yeah, I can, can see it happening because you couldn't really see saw where he would fit in that team. Um, but with Xhaka going, I think it is quite exciting to see what Havertz could do in that role. Um, I, I kind of felt like at Chelsea, we never really saw what a sort of player he was. It never felt like he had a position where he could thrive. And I think Arteta purely from a coaching perspective, will relish, you know, trying to get the best out of a player. You know, I think there are similarities to a degree with Odegaard, you know, talented young player, struggled at a big club, didn't really find a home. And Arteta got the best out of him. I think Havertz can be a similar sort of mould for that. Um, I do think, obviously, look at those pictures there. Jorginho, I think, is a player will be very helpful for getting Havertz settled. Obviously, knows him well. Um, is already a big influence in that dressing room, Jorginho. So I think that will help. But how it's going to change the system... Be intriguing to see. Um, I think it does sort of raise the possibility of playing, you know, slightly more like Manchester City do. Um, you know, that sort of three-two-four-one, um, where you have the sort of two tens. Um, that idea of having Havertz and Odegaard as those sort of four attackers behind a Gabriel Jesus for me is very, very exciting to see. Um, and it just gives options, doesn't it? I think a lot of the time when that title race was getting to a head and it was the big big games it felt like if Arsenal didn't have that 11 you struggled to see what they do if they were trying to change a game off the bench what would they do I feel like now with these signings you know Timber, Rice, Havertz all of them are sort of versatile players who can do different roles and it just gives Arteta options which I, I don't think he really had um, come sort of April, May time when it when push came to shove. Yeah no I agree I think the squad it, it certainly improves the squad it's going to improve the the options Mikel has available to him. I was talking to Naz, obviously, colleague of yours at Evening Standard. He gave us a bit of a, uh, we were doing a special on, on Havertz on this channel and he, he spoke really well about him. And sort of coming away from that chat, you kind of felt, you know, you can't really judge him on what happened at Chelsea. He's had about, he had about three different managers. Two of them were Frank Lampard, <laughs> which is not great for any player, I don't think. Um and so it's really hard to judge him, I think. And I kind of feel like that Mikel could be the perfect, Mikel and Havertz could be the perfect combination. I think, we, like you said, Mikel gets the best out of players, improves them. The Odegaard example they use, I think, spot on. And the more I think about it, the more I'm excited about this this addition because Havertz clearly is a really talented player. We saw that at Leverkusen. We saw it flashes at times at Chelsea. Um, and I just think Mikel's going to be able to take him to the next level. So I, I'm really excited about it. And potentially excited to see what sort of little tweaks to the system because I kind of look at some of the additions this summer with Havertz, certainly with Timber and with Rice and it kind of points to the next step in the evolution under Arteta. I think we've seen it change season after season and those three additions, when you kind of think of the impact they could have on the team and a slight change to the team that we could see as well, I think it is the kind of the next step that we're going to see evolving under um, Mikel. He's taken a few youngsters with him not many, but he's taken a few with him to Germany. Last year, he took he took a few and then he basically didn't take any to the United States. So it'll be interesting to see what he does for the tour this time. I imagine it'll probably be the same sort of thing. Um, the youngsters who have gone, we know Raul Walters, um, Miles Lewis, Skelly and Ethan Ranieri, fresh from signing uh, his scholarship finally and putting to bed the speculation. Um of, the, of a, him moving on, uh, Chelsea, Manchester City were interested in him. Do you think we're going to see much of these, these three in action? 
over the next um, the, the next sort of couple of days, certainly in Germany. But do you think there's any chance they might go out to the States? I mean, the, the States one will be the most interesting. Um, I think Germany was always going to be quite a possibility because I think those sort of players who've come back from international or had the international break in June, the sort of Sackers, um, Havertz, if they're going to play in that Nuremberg game, um, it probably might be more off the bench and you know limit the number of minutes given they've only had sort of four or five days. Whereas um, the likes of Namwari and, and Lewis Skelly have had, you know, best part of 10 days by the time that game comes around. Um, I think they could think they could go to the US. I think certainly with Namwari, um, when Arsenal was sort of pitching for him to stay at the club and agree scholarship terms, as you say, there was, you know, there was big interest and big offers to leave. They mapped out to him, you know what his path to the to the first team would be and sort of said, look, this is the place where you can develop. So he's gone, obviously went to Dubai, didn't he, when they went mid-season last year and players were away. Um, I think if you were trying to say to a young player that you've got a big future, I think taking them on the pre-season tour would be a real, you know, proof and show of intent of that. So it wouldn't shock me if, if both of them went. Um, it's just whether, I remember us having it last year, didn't we, where Patino didn't go. Obviously, he's, he looks like he's going to leave the club, but... And players went who you sort of knew were going to go out the door, like Lucas Torreira. And so it's whether Arsenal are a bit more ruthless and say, look, we're going to take players here that we want to keep or whether they try and take more of a sort of first team squad, quote unquote. But um, I think they'll be exciting to see if they get us some minutes against Nuremberg. Obviously, two very talented young players. Um, and yeah, I think um, something I think the fans would enjoy seeing, as well as, you know, we talk about Havertz and getting the chance to see him make his first appearance. I think fans would like to see those guys. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Bye. Yeah, I thought McCall made a mistake last summer when... He binned off a couple of the younger players, like not taking Patino to the States, I thought was, it was just weird, especially when some of the players who did go, like you mentioned Torreira, went there, you know, who ended up leaving sort of halfway through the trip anyway and going back because he wasn't happy. And I didn't quite understand Mikel's thinking there. And, you know, it was a blow to some of the younger players who didn't go on that trip. So I'd like to see him go, definitely. And, um, you know, they're still very young, especially... um, especially Manieri. I mean, it's ridiculous how young he is. He totally forget about uh, about it. Um, Raul Walt was an interesting one. I think he might, well, I wouldn't be surprised if Raul goes out on loan this um, this season. I sort of look at him and I looked at him at the, you know, we were there for the sort of latter stages of the, of the Youth Cup run last season. And physically, I think he's a little bit, he's just, he looks ready to have a good go in senior football. And I think the 
example set by Brooke Norton Cuffey when he went out on loan and sort of comfortably dealt with the physical side of things despite being so young. I do wonder if Real might might go out and would benefit more from that next season than than um than sticking around. I, I think that when you look at that game on Thursday night, I, I wouldn't be surprised if if Saka and Havertz and players like that play. You sort of go back to the Watford game on when was that Saturday behind closed doors. Obviously there was a lot more younger players involved there in that in those games, but they haven't travelled over to, to Germany all of those youngsters who are involved. So I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if some of the non-international, sorry, the international players who had extra time off get some minutes in the second half just to uh, get a few minutes into their legs before going off to the um, to the United States. And following Balogun is going to be really interesting, I think. For the whole pre-season, I sort of look at Balogun as probably one of the most intriguing figures in this Arsenal pre-season because of the hype around him at the moment, because of, you know, the discussions about his future. Is he going to be at Arsenal? Are they going to cash in on him? He's obviously going to the United States where he is the poster boy at the moment. There's huge amounts of excitement about him there. So he's going to go to the States and I imagine it's going to be the centre of attention over there. He's got basically four games, four appearances for Arsenal coming up in the next two weeks. And if he ends up bagging, I don't know, five goals in those four games and being an absolute superstar on this tour, now, what are Arsenal going to do with him? What sort of decision are they going to take at the end of this uh, end of this trip when it comes to his future? Is you know, could you really could you really get rid of Balogun this summer if he goes and has an absolute worldie on the on this tour and and bangs the goals in? It's a really interesting one. Yeah, I think it's one of the the more difficult decisions in terms of those players you talk about, sort of eight nine of them who are you know debatable ones you would sell and ones you'd keep. Because of what it's the potential of what he could become, I think, isn't it? Um, sorry about that. Dogs going mad. <laughs> um, it's the potential of what he could become, and for me, um, it makes a lot of sense taking him to the US purely from like you know a marketing perspective, PR perspective. You've got the USA number nine, and your team are there. Um, it kind of feels like a no-brainer to really take him out there. Um, but what he does in terms of his future, I think he's been pretty clear, isn't he? After that. Uh, USA international break he said you know I'm not going alone again and that does make it difficult for Arsenal I think mm. because you almost kind of feel like you want one more year to know the situation sorry I forgot Sam Dean here when the door postman's come it's alright I'll, uh, I'll handle it yeah Balogun it's just a it's just a really interesting one for me in terms of what they're going to do I mean I've said it before on these uh, I just think it, Arsenal are in a really difficult position like Simon was saying there in terms of his contract situation, only having two years left on his deal, he doesn't want to go out on loan again. So what are you going to do? It's 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 a really difficult one for the club, the position they're in. But the more you think about it, the more you think, oh my God, can you really sell following Balogun if he has a really, really strong tournament and Eddie doesn't, he's going to struggle. It's, it's almost like a bit of a battle of the two strikers during pre-season there. Who can impress more? Can Eddie show that he, um, that he can sort of go up against Balogun and and perform. I mean, do you think Eddie's going to have a little bit more pressure on him going into this summer because Balogun's there and he's not, you know, in France this time, he's actually going to be there competing with him? I think so. I think for for Eddie, his role kind of felt quite clear, didn't it, last season where he was the undisputed sort of number two striker. And we saw that when he got that run in the team for Jesus being out with a knee injury that he, he flourished in that. But um, if you, you know, speak to a lot of supporters and read what a lot of supporters say, um, some of them would quite like to have a sort of straight shootout between 
Nketiah and Balogun and wouldn't be opposed to, you know, getting rid of Nketiah and playing Balogun as the second striker. Um, I think they're very different players, though. For me, Nketiah, every time I've seen him play for Arsenal, he's just looked at his best as a number nine. I've never been convinced of him out wide. Mm-hmm. Whereas I do feel with Balogun, there is a bit more, you know, scope for him playing in sort of a wider role, maybe even a sort of a number 10 off the striker. Um so I think it's easier to find a space for him in the squad. Whereas in Ketia, for me, it kind of feels like you either play him as that number nine or he doesn't really fit elsewhere, um, which makes it hard of him. But I certainly think for Nketi, yeah, if you've got Balogun coming back off, you know, a 20-goal season in France, making his USA debut, um, looking very good for them, it's it's difficult for him to try and um, to try and not feel any pressure from that. Yeah, I think if both of them were in the same situation, if you both if you had four years contract left with both players, obviously it'd be a perfect situation for Arsenal, but it's not like that. The fact that Balogun's only got two years left and he doesn't want to go out alone again, it's like, what do you do? He's ob- he's almost forcing your hand in that situation there, especially when his price is as high as it's ever going to be now on the back of that season, on the back of just choosing USA. The fact he's only got two years left, you know, if you don't sell him now, all his price is going to do is going is going to go down. So it's it's a really difficult situation and one that I, I'm intrigued to see how it goes. I mean, I was talking to someone about this the other day, and I, initially I was saying you know 30 million is probably a good price tag, and then I was looking at other players who are going this summer and the money that they're going for. And you think is is 30 million a good a good price for Balogun? It's probably not. You know, I mean, Mudrik went for 100 million. He'd never scored outside of Ukraine. Um, you know, there's so many examples. And you look at it and think, should, should Arsenal really, you know, 50 million, is that a realistic price tag for someone like Balogun? I think, well, I mean, 50 million is what Arsenal want. Um, whether they'll get it or not is is a different story. I think in a normal market, you would say sort of 30 million is quite a fair fair fee, but the market is crazy, isn't it, at the moment? You know, the fees that are going around. Um, and even Declan Rice, I think, you know, people argue that Arsenal have overpaid by, you know, sort of 10, 15 million. Um, so I think Arsenal, you know, some people are saying, oh, you know, they're not going to get 50 million, but I think they're right to set a high asking price when the market is moving in that direction where you're getting big fees for player. And, and too often, I think in the past, Arsenal, have, you know, perhaps started the ball a little too low and, you know, ended up negotiating down. Whereas I feel like if they go in to suitors and say, look, we want 50 million for Balogun and you get brought down to sort of 40 million, um, you know, in between sort of that 30, 50 figure, then it kind of feels a bit more palatable. But yeah, I think he's um, in that market that we're in at the moment where, you know, crazy fees are going around. He's a young striker. He's had a good season. Um, again, purely from that PR marketing perspective, he is a huge name in America. He's a number nine striker going into a World Cup there in three years' time. Hmm. Um, why not try and get a big fee for him? And and as we've said, you know, this is a big summer for Edu and, and selling and getting the most he can for his players. Yeah, he's absolutely got to do that. I mean, I still look back at the fee Arsenal got for Bernd Leno last uh, last summer, and I just I still can't can't believe how he basically gave away a German international goalkeeper. Who, not surprisingly, went on to be absolutely fantastic for um, for Fulham. One player there, Sambi Lekonga, he announced yesterday on social media that he's not gone to Germany because of a muscular injury, um, which I'm sure we'll have to actually take at face value. He probably is injured, but. You know, I think everyone sort of looked at that, raised their eyebrows a little bit, and thought, "Oh yeah, here we go. He's uh, he's on his way." He is one of the players we're expecting to potentially, well, not potentially. I think we're all expecting to leave this summer, whether it be permanent or on a loan. You know, Burnley continue to be mentioned, the whole Winston Company link um, as a potential destination for for Sambi. I mean, the more you look at it, the more this Arsenal squad is evolving. Obviously, the addition of Declan Rice. 
um, and Kai Havertz especially coming in, there just doesn't appear to be any sort of future really for Sambi at at Arsenal. I don't think he's a bad player by any means. He's neat and tidy. I just don't think he's really shown the kind of personality needed at a big club like Arsenal to take the game by a scruff of the neck because he's had his opportunities. You can't say that he didn't get game time since arriving for Arsenal. It just hasn't really happened for him at Arsenal. Are you... Do you kind of agree with that? Do you think looking at it that, that Sambi kind of feels like the best pl- best thing for him is to move on now? Yeah, just it's just not really, really worked, has it? And, you know, they haven't had many misses in the last sort of two years, the recruitment team, but I think you'd probably put the conger in that bracket. Uh, he obviously came with a good reputation from Belgium, didn't he? Uh, you know, captain Andelect on occasions. Um, I, I, th- I feel a bit for him with that Crystal Palace loan because Vieira was the one who really pushed that and sort of sold it to to him and at both Arsenal and when Vieira was there until he got sacked sort of 10, 11 games within the season, you know, Lukonga was playing and you know, some of my colleagues who covered Palace were saying, you know, he was, he was looking quite good, had a few good games and then Hodgson came in and didn't really, um, didn't really fancy and didn't really use him. So he feels like someone who needs to go and play, he needs a manager who trusts, manager who trusts him. And that's why I think Burnley and Vincent Company just makes a lot of sense. Um, I think he's got two years on his deal, Lakonga. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't even be totally shocked or rule it out if Arsenal sort of loaned him for a season, try and get his value up a bit. Um, you know, if he has a good loan at, at Burnley or somewhere, um, you know, you then you start to see the player that people thought he was two years ago. Whereas right now it feels like his stock's really low. It doesn't feel like someone's going to come in and be, be fighting to get him off you. But um, yeah, it's just one that's not really worked out. And now you look at that midfield, particularly when Rice comes in. Um, if Lukonga w- was going to play at the base of it, you know, you've got Rice, Jorginho and Party all ahead of him. Um, and even in those sort of eight, number eight positions, again, the competition, if Havertz is playing there, you know, Havertz, Smith, Rovier, Rodegaard, you just can't see where he's going to get the minutes. And for, for someone like that who needs to be an age where he's playing, I think it's just best for everyone that you sort of cut your losses and let him go play. Yeah, yeah. The squad's just moved on sort of without him really since he, since he arrived. And like I said, I don't think he's a bad player by any means. He just hasn't, he just hasn't been able to sort of take his chance when it's come. Mm-hmm. And um, you're right. I think that he was really unlucky with what happened with Vieira at Crystal Palace because he'd started off pretty well there. And he kind of felt like he was going to have a decent six months, but it just didn't happen. And that kind of sums up his spell in England, really. OK, before we move on to a few questions from um, from the watchers of this channel, I just wanted to talk to you about your trip to Australia. Obviously, there's a lot of Arsenal interest over there at the World Cup. You're not going to follow just purely for Arsenal interest. You're, you're going to follow the Lionesses for, for England. And so they're really exciting trip. England going over there as the European champions, you know, one of the favourites for, for, the, um, for the tour. Now, what, what are your hopes for this tournament for, for England? Do you think they've got a chance despite missing so many key players? Yeah, I mean, if you'd asked me sort of six months ago, um, I would have probably put them as my clear favourites to win it. I think now with, um, you know, Leah Williamson, obviously out injured, uh, Frank Kirby, Beth Mead, um, Ellen White and Jill Scott retired. And that's a, it's a big core part of the team that won the Euros last summer missing. Um, mm. So I think they can certainly win it. I wouldn't have them as sort of clear favourites. I think they're one of the teams that can. Um, but it's going to be going to be so competitive. I think the women's game, obviously, we've seen it evolve over the sort of last two, three years rapidly. And certainly since the last World Cup in 2019, it's, it's come on a leaps and bounds. Um, and I think there's sort of seven, eight teams you could have justifiably thinking go all the way and win it. Um, England, 
if you look at the draw as well, there could be some pretty decent games. They could, you know, could possibly get Australia in the last 16 uh, in front of a home Aussie crowd, which is anyone who's been watching the Ashes will know that that um, will be an interesting crowd reception for the Lionesses. And then maybe like Germany in the quarterfinals. So it's going to be a tall order. But um, in Wiegmann, they've got you know, a brilliant coach who gives me a lot of confidence that England will do a good showing, whether they win it or not. I think they'll they'll have a good tournament. Yeah. So what's your... Uh... What's your itinerary when you're there? Where are you going? Are you sort of basing yourself in one place or are you just up and down? The yeah, I mean, I'm basically just following England round sort of throughout the tournament. So their their training camp is about sort of an hour and a half out of Sydney. So I'll be based in Sydney. And then England have got games in Brisbane, Sydney, Adelaide. Um, and then the last 16 will be Brisbane or Sydney. And then the sort of final games and knockout stages are in Sydney. So I'll mainly be sort of Sydney based. Um, but yeah, sort of following England round. Um, and it's a, it's a huge, huge tournament in terms of just the sheer logistics of the travel for it. Um, obviously New Zealand are the other co-hosts and they, they have tried to split the draw so that if you're in, if you're in the New Zealand half, you don't have to play in Australia until the sort of semi-final stage. Um, just because the amount of travel otherwise for the players would be, would be crazy. I mean, England is smaller than most teams, you know, sort of Sydney to Brisbane's about an hour and a half, Sydney, Adelaide, hour and a half, two hours. Um, but compared to last summer in the Euros, where they would just sort of get a coach to to every game, it is some huge distances. So um, that is going to be very different for the players. Yeah. Um, obviously, one of the players you're going to get to see uh, close up is Alicia Russo, Arsenal's latest signing, hopefully scoring some goals for England in the uh, in the tournament. What do you make of that signing and the work that Arsenal have done so far in the uh, in the transfer window ahead of the new WSL season? Yeah, I mean, we talk about recruitment drive in the men's team has been pretty similar in the, um, in the women's. And actually I was at an event, um, a women in football summit sort of back end of last month. And uh, Vin, and I was speaking there and was sort of talking about Edu's role in it and saying in, you know, in Edu's office, he's got three whiteboards. He's got the, the men's team, he's got the academy team and he's got the women's team. So he is across working in that side of the game along with Claire Wheatley, who's Arsenal's head of women's football. Um, and they've been very proactive to get their business done early, the same as the men's team. So Russo's come in. Um, Chloe Lacassay plays for Canada as a forward's also come in. Uh, and they've been very proactive at getting their ducks in a row. And Russo is the one that they really wanted. You know, they tried in January, were happy to pay sort of a world record fee of half a million for a women's player. United, adamant they wouldn't sell because they thought they could get her to sign a new deal. But in the end, um, you know, she's joined Arsenal and, and, a, and a big part of, the pitch and a big part of her reasoning behind that was what we saw last season from us, you know, sellout crowd for a women's game. Uh, the game against Tottenham had sort of 45,000. I think if you're a women's player now looking at where the game is going and who's pushing it forward, I think Arsenal really are at the forefront of that. And I think Russo has underlined that you can see where the next level is for Arsenal. You know, they're increasing the number of women's games at the Emirates next season. They're going to play all their European games there. Uh, it's just an attractive club to be at. And for fans, I mean, seeing Russo, Miedemar, Mead all in the same team uh, is going to be very exciting. It's, it's a huge signing. It's, it's, for me, it's up there with, you know, one of the biggest signings in in English women's football history. Yeah, it's very exciting. It is very exciting. It's got sort of a picture today, Arsenal women tweeted of um, Beth Mead out training, kicking the ball as well. Mm. So, you know, that's really exciting that she's obviously just missed out on the World Cup, which is a blow to her. She was hoping she might be able to sort of sneak in after that injury. But you know, fingers crossed she'll be ready for the start of the new season. And you know, that's, a, that's a hell of a strike force Arsenal have got going for <laughs> some really attacking uh, potency going forward. Um, 
okay, let's quickly move on to some questions before we wrap this up. Um, this <laughs> this one from Clive says, Charles, with Steve Brown leaving, do you think there's any mileage in the rumour that Santi Cazorla is returning to help with coaching? Now, honestly, when I, I, I break that story that Steve Brown had gone and pretty much every single response on social media was a picture of Santi or a meme of Santi. <laughs> everyone's presuming that Santi's coming back. Now, see, I, I have no idea at this point if Santi's going to come back. I was speaking to Bakary Sanya fairly recently um and he said to me we did the conversation got on to, to santi and he was like I'm, he'll go back to arsenal i'm sure he'll go back and he will be part of the coaching staff at some point i'm not saying that's going to be now but um it kind of feels like it's something that might happen at, at some point i don't know if it's going to happen now clive so i can't answer that but when you look at santi simon and i know you, you like me you had the joy of watching santi a lot when he was a player at arsenal and he's very very close to mikel the pair have got a really good relationship could you see that step happening at some point? It it kind of feels right and like it might. Yeah, I mean, certainly the push from the club, and I think we when we heard from Per, didn't we, and Jack, you know, about Arsenal wanting that sort of ex-player link uh, running through the club and the DNA. You know, Santi, I think, would be you know very much fall in that category, wouldn't he? Whether you had him in the first team or you had him in the academy and you sort of built him up. Um, He's obviously a great personality. I know when he was at the club, he was absolutely loved, wasn't he? Um, mm. Really likable character. Obviously a very good player. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with that with that coaching staff and Steve Ram yeah. going. I think Steve Ram was very much a sort of culture man, wasn't he? You know, he wasn't so much the technical tactical side. He was sort of would set the you know the tone of everything, the eyes and ears for Mikel around the training ground, and, and perhaps it got to the situation where you know the culture had been set and his job had almost been done. Um, but how they restructure that, I think would be interesting. You, you've got a number of good young coaches there, don't you? you? know, Carlos Cuesta, Miguel Molina, are they going to get a bit more of a senior role and you, you get someone in underneath them? Um, so I think it will be interesting to see, but the Cazorla one, yeah, I mean, if there was some sort of capacity for him to be at the club, I think it'd be very well received and it would fit in with the model, isn't it? Of having that sort of link all the way up from Edu down to, you know, the academy of players who know the club, ex-players, it's something the club are really keen on. So I can see why people are sort of putting two and two and getting four. Yeah. Cheap plug here for my book. But as part of the my research for the book, I, I spoke to Andres Georgeson, who's part of Arteta's coaching staff in the first full season. He was here and I talked to him about that relationship between Mikel, Steve and Albert and how close they were. And he said it was it was perfectly balanced because you had there was no competitiveness between the two. It wasn't like trying one trying to get um, sort of above the other in the pecking order at Arsenal. There was just a really good balance there in terms of what Albert brought and what Steve brought. And they were two very, very different things. And like you said, Steve was very much that kind of, I don't know, more of the old school English coat type thing who was very much, you know, with the players. And Albert is always the one you see speaking to Mikel on the touchline. It's always those two in conversation. You never really see Steve round up on the touchline or in the technical area with Mikel. And it's going to be interesting to see if they if he does replace it or if he does just like he says, sort of, just streamline the coaching staff a little bit because it is very big right now. I think we all notice it when we go down and watch some training before European games and things like that. The coaching staff is almost bigger <laughs> than the playing squad. It's huge. So um, it will be interesting to see what he does on that. But thank you very much for your, Cl for your question, Clive. There's another one here on um, the sort of number eight role. It says it, it, it's just in response to what I was talking about yesterday. Someone was asking who's going to be the sort of backup for Havertz. And I said that I think Smith Rowe can play that role. And Here's a response saying the ESR and Vieira don't seem anywhere near up to eight in terms of a high intensity game. Jorginho in six and Rice at eight is an alternative, but we need another midfielder if party goes. Upgraded midfield, perhaps, 
uh, still think Granite will be missed, but depth seems one short. Yeah, um, I mean, we, we wait and see what happens with Thomas Party. I think nothing's set in stone in terms of what's going to happen. From my understanding, he wanted to speak with the club once he got back to get some clarity on the situation and what they thought for him in terms of his future. But if they do decide to cash in on Thomas, if a decent bid does come in and they do decide to let him go, I think they've got to bring in a replacement, don't they? They would definitely be one short in midfield if they if they if they do decide to sell Thomas. Yeah, I don't think you can let party go um without a replacement. And that's I think that's the, the stance the club have taken. It's I don't think party is one that's sort of actively um you know, pushing on the market. I think it's one where, you know, if a good golfer comes in, two years on contract, 30 years old, you know, you'll consider it and, and sell him. And but only if you get a good fee and only if you can find a replacement. I don't feel like this is one where, you know, they're, they're sort of trying to get rid of him. Um, and yeah, I, 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 if he went, yeah, you have to bring someone in because as good as Jorginho has been um, in that number six, I kind of feel like just as much for your long-term planning, you would need someone else to be, you know, competing with Rice at the base of midfield beyond, you know, this season. Um, but other than that, I think if, if Parsi says, personally for me, you know, I, I, I admit Vieira and Smith-Rowe had difficult seasons last year for differing reasons. Um, I would be inclined to give them a season to see what they can do as number eight. Um, I think Smith-Rowe having that year under 21s, getting lots of minutes, you know, winning the thing will be great for him. Vieira... We've seen a lot of players in the past, haven't we? Struggling that first season, come back second season, look better. So I, I would give them another chance to prove themselves as, as one of those number eights um, and see what they do in a year's time and make a decision. Then I think, admittedly, if you were to say right now, do you think they're good enough? You'd probably say jury's out, but I would give them an opportunity to show that they can do those roles, I think. Yeah, I agree. Certainly on Vieira. And I think Vieira, I think Vieira, I'm sorry, on Smith Rowe, but I think Vieira is too early to. Like cut your losses on Vieira. Yeah, I mean Arsenal what, spent about thirty-five million to bring him in. I don't think they're gonna they're gonna write that off after one season. And you would hope he comes back and he's more a little bit more adjusted to the Premier League and a little bit more physically ready to cope with it. And we saw flashes of quality from Vieira at times last season. It certainly faded in the second half of the season. But yeah, I think it's still he deserves one more season to see how he goes. Um, there's one here about the sort of a change in the system. We did mention maybe. Arteta evolving the system a little bit with the additions he said with so many centre halves who are great on the ball we should play 3-5-2 which would give a start in place for Jesus and Ballo the majority of our strong opponents are 4-3-3 so it would provide an overload in the middle of the park I don't I don't see Arsenal going three at the back personally but it is certainly an option when you look at some of the players and if you you know you've got inverted centre uh, fullbacks there you could potentially have Timber playing as a right sided centre back in the three with Vieira uh, sorry with Saliba and Gabriel um you know, Kivior's there as well. We can do it on the left side if need be. So th- there is there is certainly the scope for us, for Mikel to think about, you know, tweaking things and adding another player in midfield and potentially going with two men up front, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, it was something that I feel like it was tried at certain points last season when they were throwing Kitchen Sink um, and Enketia and Jesus would play more as a two. Um, it's it, The three-five-two thing... <sighs> Difficult for me to, to, to see that because simply of you know, you know, you talk about you can play Jesus and Balogun as a two, but it feels like you'd be negating you know Saka and Martinelli, your two best wide players. Like where are they going to play? Are they suddenly becoming wing backs? Um, I do think there is the option of sort of playing with the back three, and again, it comes to what sort of you know City do, where it is a back four, but in the build up becomes a three, um, and when you've got you know 
White, Saliba, Gabriel can play as your three and then Zinchenko and Rice could go sort of ahead of them just in that two. Um, I think that is something I think we might see more of this season. It felt like at, at times we had it last year, but I think it could become more pronounced, um, particularly when you've got someone like Timber who feels like could slot into a back three, obviously played it for Holland. So um, I, can't, I can't see the two up front in a 3-5-2 just because I feel like you'd be sort of weakening what you've got out wide from, from Saka and Martinelli. Yeah, I, I I think you're right. I think there's definitely the scope to have three centre backs, but the old sort of old fashioned classic three five two, it just doesn't feel like this squad and the players in it are, are suited to that. Um, there's one here that's like, hi Charles, what's the plan for Cozy Dubri loan, or can he possibly be the backup to Saka? Well, he hasn't gone, um, he hasn't gone over to uh, Germany, Cozy Dubri. When you look at the youngsters who've gone, Manieri, Lewis Skelly, and Walters. Um, and so I don't think there is much of a plan for him this season. I think the plan, I don't think he'll go on loan. I think he's still a little bit too young for that. So I think he's going to stick around and play another season for the 21s because he didn't even play that many games for the 21s yet. You know, he played a lot for the under 18s, but he hasn't played that many for the, for the 21s. So I think the plan for him would just be to get some more minutes there and then potentially send him out on loan for, um, for the following season. But in terms of being a backup for Saka, I mean, Simon, I'm sure you probably agree with me there. It's just a little bit too early for that when you've got, I mean, you've got Marquinhos ahead of him for a start, although I think he'll go out on loan. You've got Trossard who can play there, Reese Nelson who can play there. You know, it's a little bit too early for Cozy Dubry to be considering him as potentially backup in the first team. Yeah, he feels like someone who needs um, a good loan, doesn't he? Um, maybe sort of Championship League One level. I think Nelson staying... Is it is interesting well, for Cozy Juby, but more so for the just the sort of whole market of, you know, is he going to be the backup to Saka next season on that right hand side? Um, it doesn't look like we've seen Cozy Juby go to Germany. Um, no, he's not gone. So, so he's not gone. So, I mean, yeah, that would for me would point towards, you know, a possible loan move. Uh, he's at that level where, which is a difficult stage, isn't it? Which Patino had and other sort of young players have where you almost start getting too good for playing under 21s football and you need to go out and play in that competitive field. So mm -hmm. yeah, he's someone I feel like um, could benefit from that. And when we saw him in the youth cup last season, I must admit I was impressed and the scary resemblance to, <laughs> to Bukayo Saka. It was, yeah. it was honestly freak, freakishly how similar the two played, just everything from their stature and their movements and the way they cut inside. Um, so he's another one that I think people should be excited about. Yeah, he's clearly a talent. He's just turned 18. I wonder if a loan this season might be a little bit too early. He's not played too much for the 21s. I, yeah, I wonder if maybe they'll keep, keep him around, certainly for the first half of the season and make a bit of a decision on him. But yeah, I don't see he's going to be he's going to be pushing Saka for a first-team spot anytime soon. Look, we've, what we are, we're nearly at 50 minutes now, so I'm going to call time on this and say thank you very much to Simon for all of his insight today. And uh, yeah, best of luck with that trip to Australia, mate. What a wonderful city. I noticed on my Facebook memories today that it was six years today from the first day that I was there for Arsenal's pre-season tour back in 2017, which was quite a trip. That was Arsene Wenger starting his final season at the club. It's uh, a lot has changed since then, but fantastic city. So enjoy it, Simon. Thank you, mate. Appreciate that. Uh, yeah, hopefully it's a good tournament for England. Absolutely, 100%. All right, everyone, thank you very much for watching. If you've been watching us on YouTube or listening, if you've been listening on podcast, hopefully we'll be back tomorrow to discuss a second new signing for Arsenal. Will Timber be announced? Fingers crossed he will. Thank you for joining me, everyone. Have a very good day. I'll speak to you all very, very soon.